Yeah, I, always, I tell all my buddies, if you tried VA 10 years ago, like I did, try us again. You're listening to the Justice for Vets podcast when thank you is not enough. Hosted by retired Major General Butch Tate. This podcast is made possible with funding from the Bureau of Justice Assistance. Hi, this is Butch Tate. I'm the Chief Counsel for the National Association of Drug Court Professionals. Justice for Vets is one of the divisions of our organization. I'm pleased to be your host for this episode of our podcast, When Thank You Is Not Enough. In this episode, entitled Sharing Our Lived Experience, we're going to explore the various resources and services available from the VA to support our veterans who may find themselves in need of either uh, services or support. We had the pleasure of speaking with Laura Felton, who's the director of the Milwaukee Vet Center. And I'll turn this over to, to John Borsler in a minute, our current guest. But I just got to tell you, Laura did a great job of explaining what a vet center is, what she does, how the services are made available. Uh, couldn't have been better. And I have the same high expectation of today's guest, which is Mr. John Borsler, who is the Chief Veterans Experience Officer. I'm going to let John talk about his background in a minute. And although it's a really fancy title, uh, quite appropriate for a guy in his position, I describe John Borsler as just a good dude who's the right person in the right place. And I've said that to audiences before, and and maybe that resonates more than just the, the fancy title that the government has given him, but he's a good dude who has committed his professional life to the service of his fellow veterans. Uh, John, welcome to the podcast. We're grateful to have you, and I'd like you just to share a little bit about your background so that the listeners know who they're hearing from. No, thanks so much for having me, Butch. It's awesome to be on, and uh, hopefully I don't embarrass you too much or uh, you know spoil the reputation of this uh, this great podcast already. But uh, it is great to be on, and and I and I, I appreciate also the the good dude title. I I, I like that one better than any. Uh, and I think it does resonate it resonates with uh, me, and I think it resembles you too. So it's uh, great to be with, with you again. But uh, I, I joined the Marine Corps like a lot of us. I uh, joined the military at a very young age, and uh, um, you know, uh, served in the Marine Corps for about eight years, both active and reserve time. Uh, went went overseas a few times uh, from the years of 1999 to 2007, and um, and uh, really, I think, benefited from that that experience in, in many different ways. Like many folks, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do when I got out because I planned to make the Marine Corps uh, career, but due to some physical limitations that were impressed upon me by that combat service and, hard, and, and harder, more difficult infantry service, I uh, was given the distinct opportunity to not continue my service uh, by the Marine Corps, which is very cut and dry about these types of things, as we all know. And instead, given an opportunity uh, to serve as a as a as a as a, a staffer on a member of Congress staff, so a congressional staff, and from there, I got to really see the gaps in all the different services, both at the state, federal, local levels, and and uh, really better understood the systems approach to how we serve veterans, not only here at the national level, but down in the communities they return to. And as you mentioned, that really kind of kicked off. Um, um, the rest of my career at the various points of local government, I worked for the mayor of 
two mayors of Houston kind of helping them design their reintegration strategies as one of the biggest destinations for Iraq and Afghanistan vets in the last 20 years, and then helped start a couple of different organizations that really acted as the as the funnel um, for not only Houston, but the, the whole state of Texas eventually, and created a technology platform uh, to connect these returning service members and their, and their families to the social determinants of health that, that help make their, their, their lives much more successful um, when they reintegrate. And then uh, found, you know, found myself uh, being reached out to by um, the Biden-Harris administration when they were about to take office here about two years ago and gave me the opportunity to interview. And over the next two months and nine interviews later, I was given the opportunity to serve as the third uh, chief veterans experience officer here as a, the leader of the Veterans Experience Office here at the Department of Veterans Affairs. And so now I've been there, been here almost two years. Uh, this whole thing started about two years ago. Uh, and it's been an incredible experience just being able to connect with guys like Butch and other leaders, subject matter experts in the field. Thanks, John. So you certainly have the street cred for the job. And and but having the cred and living up to it is, is kind of a, another thing. And I'm going to ask you to... To, to sort of go into some detail, if you would, please, on, on what your current job involves and then, you know, kind of what surprised you most about the, the role you've been given to take on? Yeah, so we cover down on quite a lot. Um, we're what you call a staff office here at VA. So the way that VA is broken up is like you have the three administrations, the health administration, the benefits administration and the cemetery administration. And then you have a number of staff offices or so all three of those administrations are led by undersecretaries. Then you have a number of staff offices that are led by assistant secretaries. And they are really the kind of the supportive glue in between the administrations at the enterprise level. So the Veterans Experience Office is one of those staff offices, but it, we're charged with really taking the voice of the customer, the voice of the veteran and their families via a ton of different modalities. And I can go through a lot of the different customer channels that we use to, to deliver that voice of the customer to really serve as the insights engine for the secretary and other senior leaders to make strategic level decisions that impact the millions of veterans that we serve every year. And so that's really our charge. Uh, We do that in a variety of ways, whether that's, you know, understanding the quantitative and the qualitative data. So quantitative data, lots of survey data on measuring the experience, whether that's an outpatient uh, visit at one of our hospitals or a vet center. You mentioned vet centers earlier, a visit to one of our vet centers, or, you know, get your experience in getting a home loan guarantee uh, or uh, education benefits, post on 11 GI Bill, for example. Just trying to measure all of that uh, information or all those experiences and then relay, you know, uh, in, in order to improve the way that these programs are delivered and improve the way that veterans experience them. On the qualitative side is we're interviewing veterans. So like one-on-one, like we're doing right now, Butch, like we're, I'm asking you about your experience interacting with VA along your customer journey. And you're giving me the pain points, the bright spots, the moments that matter that really can reveal a lot of different insights about how to improve these different programs that a, a quantitative survey would never reveal. So it's pretty neat that we, we have a pretty robust human-centered design practice here largest in federal government. And and I think it's shown in the way that we've improved in the last seven years. We also have the ability uh, to improve the digital and the mobile experience. So we work at our partners in the IT section of VA 
to build uh, mobile applications, improve the digital experience when navigating programs and services on VA DACA, our front, our single front door for the digital side. We also uh, own and operate uh, a my one eight hundred my VA four one one, which is the telephonic single front door and access to the enterprise. So um, we we measure the voice of the customer in a variety of different ways, a variety of different channels through partnerships to the rest of the administration and are continuing to grow um, based on the incredible demand uh, placed on us by the administrations and staff offices that serve veterans and their families every day. So in terms of uh, what's surprised me the most or what I think what, what has been one of the greatest uh, learning opportunities for me is not the scale. I think I, I, I had a good idea of like what the scale was here at VA, but just the incredible amount of talent that this this uh, department has at its disposal and how much progress has been really been made in the last seven years. And it really made me think back to when I first saw that first journey map in 2015, when it was published under Secretary McDonald. To where we are now with 50 plus other different iterations of that, basically measuring each experience with each different business line and seeing the trust scores go up in concert over the last seven years. It, it's pretty incredible what VA has accomplished. And that's not just at the enterprise level, but down to the medical center and the clinic and the vet center and the cemetery and the regional office level in the field at 1200 1,500 different locations across across the country. So uh, I think I think that was one of the big, biggest uh, surprises to me is just how effective this this place really is, given the sheer scale that it operates in every day. And, and I think you and I both realize that those increased scores, those high numbers, are the result of a whole lot of work. It just doesn't happen, which which kind of leads me to sort of my first question that that I think relates to the space I'm working in now. And, and, I'm, and so let's, let's say I'm that veteran sitting at home and I, I hear you, what, you, what you're saying to me. How do I get my experience to you? I know you're on the road all the time, but you can't be everywhere you know, at, the, at the same time. How, how can I get my experience to you to let you then act upon it uh, to, to affect change? Yeah, I would say take your surveys. I mean, uh, so the surveys are the 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 single I think best way to relay how you feel about your experience at the local facility level that those facility leaders are looking at day in and day out, and then making adjustments, following up on the comments left in the free text boxes, making sure that veterans do have a world class experience, and if they're not, let us know. But I do every facility I've been to really uses that modality essentially to track uh, and better understand the needs of their customers. So that's really important to know that those surveys, we get them all the time, whether it's a shopping experience, whether it's a dining experience, car rental. I can't go on a trip without, you know, getting half a dozen emails afterwards. And I just don't take the time because I'm not confident anybody will look. I think it's important to hear that, yeah, there's a person on the other end of that survey reviewing what uh, the veteran has input to the system. I appreciate you sharing that with everyone. Absolutely. There, there certainly is at least one person, maybe, maybe many people reading that feedback and understanding that feedback and then taking it and improving, using it to improve the process. 
There are also many other different listening channels we have, whether that's getting involved in your local community veteran engagement board, which really serves as kind of the community voice at lo the local level. They partnered up with the VA medical centers and the regional offices to give to give them those insights. We have Vet XL Q&A town halls hosted every month, and those can range from hundreds of thousands of people tuning in to just a few hundred, depending on the customer personas we're trying to reach out to, whether that's women veterans or LGBTQ plus veterans or minority veterans or, you know, Vietnam veterans or Gulf War veterans, veterans are, that are impacted by the PACT Act and the benefits and care that they're now afforded under the 23 new presumptive commit conditions. There's something always going on. So you can check out va.gov slash vet resources, join our e-newsletter, uh, give us feedback on that as well, but uh, but stay tuned to all the different ways that you can interact with VA on a weekly basis. Thanks, John. You know, and I've got three other areas I want to ask your thoughts on before I let you go back to the greatness of Washington, D.C. Um, as you know, the VJO program, Veterans Justice Outreach Program, is a project near and dear to me because I think it's one of the highlights of the VA and are, is so important to ensuring veterans treatment courts deliver what they need to deliver, which is full spectrum support to the veterans recovery. Um, could you share a little bit about how the VA supports veterans treatment course, certainly through the VA VJO program and any other thoughts you might have on how the VA is part of making those those courts work? Yeah, I think it is uh, truly one of the best programs, as you mentioned, and uh, there's always opportunity for additional um, help and resources for a lot of these the the, the, the VJO teammates that are out in the field. Um, because not every county has the the benefit of starting a, a, tr a treatment court or a veterans treatment court. Um, uh, so those that do, of course, they're now integrated with VA. And so throughout that customer journey was in itself as its own journey map. When a veteran engages in the criminal justice system and gets and has the good fortune of being uh, you know, invited into one of these veteran treatment courts, they are in tandem, you know, working with our caseworkers, social social workers, clinicians at the VA medical center in that in that area, or the or the community based outlet patient clinic in that area, and, and then those individuals dedicated to that veteran success, and not only reducing the recidivism of that case, but also making sure that they're connected into the broad range of, of VA health and mental health services, in, in addition to the social determinants of health and, and what's outside the four walls of VA, whether they need additional and legal or employment or food or transportation resources, they really thrive, I think, in addressing a lot of those uh, health-related social needs that many other programs haven't, haven't really um, figured out yet. So I, I really kind of think that in terms of how VA can, can, can take a, a page out of the VJO success story, and the broader success story of veteran treatment courts across the country is that we need to do more to better arm our clinicians and our staff with the ability uh, to connect veterans that far before they get engaged in the criminal justice system or get into trouble um, and make sure that we're preventing a lot of these negative health and economic outcomes from occurring by ensuring that they're enrolled in, in healthcare, by ensuring that they have access to their earned benefits and care, by ensuring that we can connect them to community resources and social services that get them to the next appointment so that they can prevent that, that from ever happening. But when, when it does, and if it does, which in many cases it does not, but in, in the cases that we're talking about, 
the VJL program really, really excels at, at making sure that these veterans have a wonderful customer experience and are thanks the rest of their life. And I know, I know the VJOs are on your radar screen. I know for a fact that they're on the secretary's radar screen. And, and while it's kind of a plug for that program and, and for the men and women who are in it, my question really was a plug for all the veterans who, who understand there's somebody there in that courtroom who will connect them to all the other VA services and sometimes even to community services. So, so thanks for your comments on that. And I hope I can ask you two, two more areas here to get your thoughts on. You know, the, the, this is kind of a thought question here um, and, and not something off the website, but I, I really want to appeal to our, to our veterans who haven't made that step yet to, to, to reach out for, for support. But but I also want to talk to the vets who are in a position to help that veteran who might be reluctant. So any, any thoughts you could share on what vets can do to help others who might be reluctant to reach out to the VA for help? Yeah, I, always, I tell all my buddies, if you tried VA 10 years ago, like I did try us again. You know, I've been a, a customer for uh, many years now, and but now I'm a full-time patient, you know, so I don't I don't have any private sector health care, health insurance anymore. I only use VA by choice because it is incredibly convenient. They understand my needs. I think it. I have had better health uh, outcomes with the VA system than um, than than I have on, on the outside, to be honest with you, because of that, uh, that cultural competency around military service and around veteran, what ails us, uh, particularly us broken infantrymen that need to go to the physical therapist more often than not these days. But, but I, I would say that, you know, the, the, the Lance Corporal Underground and the E4 Mafia, you know, we, we need to really engage that population and what we call the untethered veterans uh, that that are not yet connected to their care and benefits that they have earned, particularly because of the, you know, the signing of, into law of the PACT Act, you know, the promise to um, address comprehensive toxics. So anyone who has been exposed to toxic uh, to to toxins like Agent Orange or uh, burn pits or depleted uranium or other different toxins, through whether you're served in Vietnam, the Gulf War or in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, could come to VA, get a screening done. It only takes five minutes out of your day, and then you can get connected to benefits and care that you have earned that were previously we were not eligible for. And so if you go to va.gov slash pact, you can see all the different presumptive conditions now that you that, that, that you may have and you may have symptoms for. And I re- would really encourage a lot of veterans to re-engage with us at that point because it is a world-class experience. And, and that really uh, answers my what was going to be my final question as well, which is for that for that vet. I think you know that my, my father was a Vietnam veteran, two combat tours uh, generation. He went on to serve a career, but a lot of soldiers around who just didn't trust the VA, wouldn't file for their benefits because they, they couldn't trust where the records were going. And, and, and so... You know, I, I guess I'll go ahead and ask it anyway, John, but I, because I think you'll have some good thoughts on it. It's just that idea that, look, I know what my uncle told me. My father told me about the VA, so I just don't trust those guys. But but help me reach that veteran who might still be working under that old notion that uh, don't waste your time. And I mean, I love your comment about if you tried us 10 years ago, try us again. That's that's powerful. I'm thinking about getting some T-shirts made for you and me to, to yeah. show that slogan off. But any other thoughts you could offer to encourage that veteran who just give us a chance to, to, to trust us? 
Absolutely. And I think the with the pandemic, you know, really ramped up the capabilities around telehealth and video health. So if you're, uh, you know, a working family or you have trouble accessing um, during working hours in particular, you can use that option. I've taken many appointments from this the office that I'm in currently here at VA Central Office to make sure that I'm addressing the, the care that I need uh, and, and not having to go in every single time, uh, but for only those instances where it requires a a one-on-one with my clinician or with the staff that I need to meet with. For the many women veterans that are, which are women veterans are our fastest growing population of customers right now. And I think that that is because of the incredible efforts uh, of that our women's clinics have made and making sure that they have uh, a wonderful experience coming into the facility through the women's uh, clinic entrances and then utilizing telehealth and virtual health to make sure that the, we meet their needs. And we've seen the levels of trust really go up in the last few years, particularly around telecare, telehealth care and virtual care, because it's so much more convenient uh, for women veterans and their families. For other, um, you know, for minority veterans, for LGBTQ plus veterans, uh, we are, we hear you. We are redesigning a lot of our services based around the pain points that you have relayed to us. Uh, similarly, on the rural veterans and Native American veterans in particular that have a tremendous amount of difficulty accessing some of our facilities just due to the sheer distance away from you. We are, we are, we are thinking about new ways uh, to bring those services closer to you on making sure you're better connected into the VA system so that you can get the care and the benefits that you have uh, so rightly earned. So that's, you know, that the numbers don't lie, but I mean, you look at 2015 or 2016, we did our first kind of uh, quarterly VA trust uh, uh, survey. We were at 55% trust across the board. Today, we're at 77%, which is if you think about net promoter scores in the private sector, USAA is at a 78% you know, point you know, net promoter score. So if we think about trust in a very similar way, we're doing pretty good. And I, we have a long way to go. We have a lot of improvements to make, but we can only do that if we have uh, folks enrolling that aren't enrolled and giving us that feedback on how to improve the process and the programs for them and better understanding and addressing their needs. Hey John, thanks very much. I uh, you never disappoint, and 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 you you never disappoint not just by what you say, but the actions that you take as a follow-on to that. So I, I thank you for being a part of our podcast. I hope I've given you the opportunity to demonstrate to others why I believe you to be a good dude who is in the right place at the right time, making a difference. So I encourage our vets, take to heart what John said. If nothing else you take from this, that there are people at the other end of these surveys. There are people who respond to the inquiries. There are, there are people whose job, but more importantly, their passion is to make a difference in the life of our veterans. So uh, take that to heart. Take, take John Borsler heart because he's making a difference. John, thanks to you for your time today. Thanks to your VA team. Thanks for all the impact you're having on our, on our veterans. And I appreciate you being with us. Thanks. Thanks so much, Butch. I appreciate it too. This has been the Justice for Vets podcast when thank you is not enough. Hosted by retired Major General Butch Tate. This podcast is made possible with funding from the Bureau of Justice Assistance. Thanks for listening.